Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. As always, thanks so much for listening and downloading. And if you like what you hear, be sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a review on iTunes that you're liking what you're hearing. And if there's something that you really want to hear or a guest or a topic, head over to podcast.healthywealthysmart.com and contact me and let me know what you'd like to hear and I will try and get it on for you. So in this podcast, um, it, we were coming live from the Ascend Conference in Washington, D.C. that is brought to you by WebPT, and I had the chance to sit down with Rick Gawenda to talk about CPT codes. So if you're a physical therapist, CPT codes are really important because that's kind of how you get paid. So a little bit more about Rick. He is a licensed physical therapist with 25 years of experience and currently serves as the founder and president of Gawenda Seminars and Consulting. He graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree in physical therapy from Wayne State University in Detroit. And he is also the director of finance for Kinetics Advanced Physical Therapy, a private practice with offices located in Southern California. In addition, he previously worked as the Director of Physical Medicine and Rehab at Detroit Receiving Hospital, where he was responsible for physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech-language pathology services, both in the inpatient and outpatient. He is a member of the American Physical Therapy Association, Michigan Physical Therapy Association. He is the past president of the Section on Health Policy and Administration of the APTA, as well as the past president of the Michigan Association of Medical Rehabilitation Program Administers. He is the author of how to, uh, the How-To Manual for Rehab Documentation, A Complete Guide to Increasing Reimbursement and Reducing Denials, and Coding and Billing for Outpatient Rehab Made Easy, Proper Use of CPT Codes, ICD-9 Codes, and Modifiers. And of course, he's also an expert in areas of ICD-10 coding, billing, documentation, compliance, revenue enhancement, practice management, denial management, as they relate to outpatient services. So today we talk about the CPT codes. I was, and you'll hear it as I interview Rick, was blown away because I feel like I was kind of doing it wrong, which is really, really disturbing. Anyway, so in this episode, we discuss the four components to determine levels of CPT codes, which are history, examination, clinical presentation, and decision-making, differentiating the complexity levels of CPT codes with patient case studies. We kind of go through a little bit just to give you some idea on uh, some of the thinking behind how you decide which CPT code you want to use. And these are for the evaluation codes, the new evaluation codes. Uh, challenges with billing higher complexity levels differently than lower complexity levels, and common myths surrounding the treatment of Medicare patients. So this for me was really eye-opening because, I, like I said, I felt like I was kind of doing it wrong, and it's not as easy as it sounds. So 
If you are a physical therapist and if you are using CPT codes and the new evaluation codes, you have to listen to this. It's short, it's sweet, lots of information will give you a whole new appreciation for the new evaluation codes. So I want to thank Rick so much for sitting down with me at the Ascend event, taking time out of his busy schedule there. And I want to thank all the folks at WebPT for allowing me to do some interviews while I was at the Ascend event. And a little bit more about the Ascend event. If you've never been, um, it was my first time going and I loved it. I thought it was great. It's next year. I think it's the end of September next year. It's going to be in Phoenix, I believe. Um, but it was really great. The folks at WebPT, Heidi Janenga, they put on a great conference, lots of fun networking, interesting people. It's always great to meet new people in the physical therapy industry. And I was able to do all of that at Ascend. So I highly suggest uh, checking it out next year. And on that note, get your pen and paper ready because you're going to be taking a lot of notes, thanks to Rick Gwenda and going over these new evaluation CPT codes with us. Hey everybody, so we are coming to you again live from the Ascend event in Washington DC, which is brought to you by WebPT. And I am sitting here with one of the presenters, Rick Gawenda, who is no stranger to this podcast. He has been on a couple of times already, I think. And so Rick, welcome back. We're happy to have you. Thanks. Always, always nice to be asked to do this podcast and spend time with you. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about what you have two talks tomorrow. So can you kind of give the listeners a little bit about what you're going to talk about? Because not everybody's lucky enough to be here at Ascend. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I've been asked by WebPT to do two talks. Uh, one, I'm going to do on the new PTOT eval codes. And we say new, even though, you know, but tomorrow or whatever is the end of September. So I've been using it for nine, nine months. months. And uh, so... I guess we'll still use the word new, but kind of give walk through and maybe do about 12, 14 case scenarios while say, here's how the patient presents. You know, here's, I think, how we need to document and here's the right complexity level. Because I find, in my opinion, I think PTs and OTs are not coding the complexity levels correct. And then my second talk is gonna be dispelling some of the most common therapy myths. So those myths that you can't double book Medicare patients, that students can't treat Medicare patients, that you, you can only build four units in an hour, that Medicare doesn't pay for maintenance therapy, they don't pay for group therapy. And we're gonna kinda walk through some of these myths that I get all the time and kinda set them straight with the references that show why they really are myths in urban legends. Okay, so let's kind of dive into this a little bit, starting with the eval code. So, like you said, those eval codes came out in the beginning of 2017, and I mean, I'm cash-based, but I still give my patients super bills for them to turn in, so I still have to put on those uh, CPT codes and those diagnosis codes. So there's three different codes. You've got like a low, a medium, and a high complexity. That's layman's terms, I know, but that's yes. basically it, right? Yes, yep. low, moderate, high. Okay. So how does one differentiate between those different levels and is there a difference in reimbursement rates for those levels? And I think you have to look at it from both a physical therapy perspective and an occupational therapy perspective uh, because the components within each, each evaluation, PT and OT, are different. Uh, because when you look at the physical therapy eval codes, there's actually four components that must be met. And the four components are history, examination, clinical presentation, and decision-making. For the occupational therapy, there's only three components, history, 
examination and uh, decision making. So I know a lot of times when I may be teaching the PT codes, OTs are trying to figure out, well, how does that apply to OT? When I'm teaching the OT codes, PTs try to figure out, well, how does that apply to OT? And they don't. You know, they're, they're completely, completely separate. separate. And they're completely separate numbers, right? Correct. Yeah. So PT, we have the three different codes that go 97161 for low complexity, 97162 for moderate complexity, 97163 for high complexity. And then OT also has three different codes to describe low, moderate, and high. So how does one, and, and I realize this could be like a two hour long seminar, right? Oh yeah, No at least. question, at least. No questions. Yep. Um, so if, let's just maybe take one patient example, if you will. Sure. And so let's say someone comes in to see you, you're a physical therapist, and they have low back pain. Mm -hmm. yeah. But they also have, they're on, I don't know, they have diabetes, mm -hmm. or they're on kidney dialysis, but they still have low back pain, versus someone who comes in with, who's an active younger person that just has straight up low back pain. So how yeah. can you, how do you differentiate that? Yeah, great question. It's actually kind of, Example, I'm going to actually be talking about tomorrow where I give, say, a 36-year-old low back pain patient. You know, I've had centralized low back pain maybe for the last two weeks. Uh, there's no ridiculous symptoms. Uh, in terms of past medical history, past surgical history, he's only 36. You know, there's, there's no significant history. There's no comorbidities. There's no personal factors of, say, excessive alcohol consumption. He does not smoke, nothing like that. So yes, you know, he does have pain in the low back. Yes, when you push on his low back, uh, it, it's painful. You know, he may or may not have any weakness, things like that. When you look at him and you look at the four components of, say, history, well, he has no personal factors, no comorbidities that impact the plan of care. So, you know, he's going to meet the low complexity for history. Under examination, you know, we have to count elements. Well. If you have to assess the structure of the trunk, you know, that's going to be at least one element. You may do manual muscle testing of his lower extremities. It may be normal strength. And people think, well, you can't count that because it was not abnormal. There were no deficits. But it says under examination that you're addressing one to two elements from any of the following. And that would be body structures, body functions, activity limitations and participation restrictions. So I am addressing his muscle power, I'm addressing his muscle strength. Doesn't that, it can be normal, I'm still addressing it. That's gonna be a body function. So even that low back pain patient, I'm gonna assess the structure of the trunk and I may assess muscle strength, muscle power. That's just, that's gonna be two structures. Right. Well, I only have to have one to two, I only need one to meet the low complexity for examination under the PT low complexity valve. We then look at clinical presentation. You know, he's had low back pain for two weeks, it's centralized, there's no ridiculous symptoms, there's no change in his pain, there's no heart conditions, respiratory conditions. So he's gonna be stable, uncomplicated. He's gonna meet low for that. But then we get to decision-making. Well, it's kind of a pretty straightforward patient, in my opinion. Probably going to be low decision-making. That's going to be a 97161 PT valve low complexity. But let's take that same patient. Let's make him maybe 57, 58, 59 years of age. Let's make him 5'7", 220 pounds. 
let's give him diabetes and let's make him give him insulin dependent diabetes let's see he's not complying with his diet he loves his sweets he loves Krispy Kreme donuts okay so we've got a patient that's morbidly obese insulin dependent diabetic non-compliant with the diet things like that well to meet the moderate complexity level for history we just need one to two personal factors and or comorbidities that impact the plan of care. Right, so we've got obesity, so diabetes. Right, so let's say obesity and diabetes. That's two right there. We say are going to impact the plan of care. So not only do you document that under past medical history, you have to write a sentence or two on why you think the obesity, why you think the diabetes is going to impact your plan of care. Because every patient that is obese is not going to impact every plan of care. Every patient that has diabetes is not going to impact the plan of care. So, so you have to write that sentence on okay. why you think. So someone can have, can be obese, or let's say have diabetes, using this example, and have low back pain, but it do, if it doesn't impact your plan of care, then it doesn't bump them up to another level? Correct. Eval. Correct. So This is so much more complicated than I thought it was. It is. That's what I'm saying. We could probably oh spend God. two, three hours I literally did not know this. Yep. So then you take that same patient, now we go to examination. Uh-huh. So again, we're still gonna be assessing the structure of the trunk, that's gonna be one element. We're gonna still assess muscle power, that's two elements. But might we also be assessing, say, pain? Of that's course, a third, yeah. That's a third element. Well now, because of the low back pain, because of the muscle weakness in the lower extremities, is that impact in that patient with mobility, which could be an activity limitation. Is it impacting them with being able to maintain a maybe a sitting position, a standing position, a lying down position? They can't sleep through the night. So if they, let's say, their job requires them to sit through two-hour meetings and they can't do that. That would be an activity limitation, which is another element under the PT eval component. Mm -hmm. So in this example, you could have maybe four, five, six elements under the examination. Well, that's going to meet the high complexity level for examination. Okay. But now let's take that this back patient. Well, what if he told you he's had the back pain for two weeks, but three or four days ago started to get ridiculous symptoms into the lower extremity, so to get numbness, tingling, burning? Well, is that evolving? Is that changing? Sure. Which so that's now, another level of complexity. For clinical presentation, that's going to meet the moderate complexity level. So now we get to decision making. Well, we've got moderate for history. We've got high for examination we got moderate for clinical presentation so I got to take all this in as a therapist and look at his comorbidities I'm addressing five six seven elements I mean things are changing he's getting worse it's evolving what house is going to impact my decision-making in terms of developing the goals the plan of care maybe his needs in terms of equipment things like that I got to think about in the future but let's just say for sake of argument we're gonna say that's gonna be a high decision-making so we've got moderate for history, high for exam, moderate presentation, high for decision making. What do you do? Unfortunately for us, you have to build the lowest denominator. Okay. You have to charge the moderate. Okay. Because to build a high complexity eval, they have to meet the criteria for all four components. For high, so they'd have to, to be high. high. They have to in be high four. for history, high for exam, high for presentation, high for decision making. Okay. So you could have moderate for history and high in the other three. It's still moderate. Still got to build moderate. Ah, this is great but, stuff. But what I'm finding is that 
we as PTs, we're having these patients that do have the personal factors of comorbidities that may get them to moderate or high. We have these patients that are evolving, changing, or like an example, maybe unstable, could be a fracture that has has a malunion. So it healed, but it's a malunion, it's a uh-huh. non-union. Right. Or unstable, where they stand up, maybe they go into tachycardia, bradycardia. Or what about if they go, you know, blood pressure, blood pressure, blood pressure drops, drops or something like that? That would be another kind of comorbidity exam. on exam. But that actually could be an example of being under clinical presentation of a okay. patient that's unstable, unpredictable. Because uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. now you're having a drop in blood pressure mm-hmm. where they might become lightheaded. Mm-hmm. almost feels like they're going to pass out. So I don't know if we're doing a good enough job as therapists really in terms of documenting the comorbidities but also identifying evolving, changing versus unstable, unpredictable. So all of this needs to be documented as well. It does. This is so much work. It is. I know. I thought these three codes were supposed to and, be easier. And, and we're not getting paid any more money for, for this because, for this you, extra you, because you asked about the payment. Yeah. And right now the Medicare program for PT as well as OT they're paying the three PT codes the same dollar amount, the three OT codes the same dollar amount. Well, because Medicare is not differentiating the payment, most other payers also don't differentiate the payment. Okay, so regardless of what code you use, the payment's the same? Correct, so let's just say, for example, uh, Medicare for the PT valuation for low complexity pays $85. Uh-huh. We're also gonna pay $85 for moderate, $85 for high. Let's just say, for example, Medicare pays $90 for OT for low. They're going to pay 90 for moderate, 90 for high. So you're not getting so any more money. And here's the point, though. What's the point? Well, because now <laughs> therapists feel, well, since we're being paid the same, who cares which one we really bill? So what we're seeing is when this was first coming out, APTA told the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, Mm -hmm. that we expect 25% to be low complexity, 50% to be moderate, 25% 25 to be high. Well, obviously, CMS and the other insurance carriers have this data of the percentage of codes that are being charged, which ones, but they're not sharing that with us. But, you know, obviously, you know, I know people that own electronic medical record companies or billing companies, and they've got this data on what therapists are billing. And their data through the first eight months shows roughly that about 42 to 48% are low, 42 to 48% are moderate, and maybe 16, 8 to 16% are high, or 4 to 16% are high. So we're billing a lot more lows than what was projected to CMS. Now, why is that? I was just you gonna know, say, is it because people are not coding properly, given what you just said, I feel like some of the patients that I have coded as low is probably incorrect. Yeah, and I think it's two possible answers. You know, mm-hmm. one I think is people just don't quote care right now because we're being paid the same, so they're just gonna do low. There's no incentive. There's no incentive. Where the second thing, my personal opinion is, I think we truly are doing more moderates and highs, but we're not documenting the comorbidities, we're not documenting the correct clinical presentation, say for physical therapy. Hence, we're underestimating the complexity level. Got it, level. got it. And right now, that does not matter. But what if in 2019, Medicare starts paying the high complexity more than moderate, moderate more than low? 
But you know what's going to happen. Well, everybody's going to be Commodities are going to start building more highs and moderates. Right, right. And could that it's thing a slippery get, slope. Then, right, could insurance companies start auditing that? And they're going to audit because they're going to say, well, we're, we're building more highs and moderates because... But if your notes because, don't... Because we're, we're paying more money. Right. Well, I like to think we're building more moderates and highs because people that listen to this podcast took this information and realized they've actually been billing the wrong code, right. the wrong complexity level all this time. And it comes down to making sure that that's all documented. So you right. just can't bill someone as medium or high and not document, like you said, those four different categories. For PT, yeah. For PT. For PT. We'll, and we'll OT's going to be completely different. OT's going to be completely different. Sorry, OT's. Sorry. If only, if only we had two more hours for this. Um, <laughs> another podcast. <laughs> So those four categories, can you repeat those four categories again that people need to look for? For physical therapy, the four components would be history, which is looking at personal factors Mm -hmm. and or comorbidities that impact Mm -hmm. the plan of care. Mm -hmm. So they're not saying Karen does not have any personal factors. They're not saying Karen does not have any comorbidities. I mean, that patient might have high blood pressure. They may have hypothyroidism. They may have osteoarthritis of the left knee. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is it's not going to impact this plan of care. Got it. So history is one component. Examination is the second component. Clinical presentation is a third, and that's the one I think we're not doing right either. And then decision-making is the right. fourth component for PT. Got it, got it. So, and judging on all those, just to recap quickly, if you have three in the medium and one in the low, it's a low. It's got to be right. like, it's like, yep. what's that, uh, America's Got Talent. You need all four to go on. You need all four to go on. Well, well technically not with, the, not with, I think you only need, probably only need what, one what, on what, those shows, but you what, get the idea. Wasn't that girl great, that ventriloquist? Okay. She was amazing. She was. I don't even people. watch that show, but I, yeah. I, uh, but she's I, I saw her on you YouTube. Listeners. Check out AGT, America's Got Talent, that 12-year-old ventriloquist. She was mean. Did she win? She won a million dollars. Did she? She That's won am- it. She was, I don't understand how she did that, but it was amazing. It was amazing. I need her to work with CMS. <laughs> <laughs> Tell her to go ventriloquist herself <laughs> That's to DC. Right. Um, okay, so... That's a lot more complicated than I thought it was. It is. I, and, and I know I was laughing when you said we're going to do a little 20-minute podcast on this. I'm going. I'm feeling sorry for the OTs right now because we're about 20 minutes in and we haven't touched OT. Sorry, OTs. Maybe we'll do another one for OTs. There you go. I feel back, bad. back live from Ascend. Yes, yes. Sorry, OTs. But we, we got to kind of keep it going here. So I feel like that's a nice kind of overview on the eval codes. Thanks. Um, so let's talk about, maybe take two or three of those myths that you're going to talk about tomorrow yeah. that you feel like are most pertinent for, for therapy. Yeah. I think the big one for both PT and OT is that myth that you can't double book Medicare patients. Okay. You know, I hear that all the time that you can't have yeah, two Medicare patients in my clinic at the same time and I, can, I can't treat both. I think what people don't understand is that the definition of one-on-one patient content applies to all patients. So you could have two Medicare patients come in and see Karen or see Rick, and we treat them from eight to nine o'clock and be perfectly legal as long as I only charge for the time I spent one-on-one with each one. So if you take those two Medicare patients, we'll kind of keep it simple. Yeah. Could I see Medicare patient A for 10 minutes one-on-one doing manual therapy? I then leave them, tell them what to do by themselves. I go over to Medicare patient B. I treat them for 10 minutes one-on-one doing manual therapy. I tell them what to do. I now go back to patient A, do 10 minutes of, say, exercise one-on-one. I go back to patient B, 
do 10 minutes of exercise one-on-one. -on -one. I go back to patient A for another 10 minutes of, say, exercise, and then back over to patient B for another 10 minutes of exercise. Mm -hmm. So from, from 8 to 9, I went back and forth a few times between those two patients. And I spent 10 minutes with each patient three different times. So when you add that up, it means I spent 30 minutes one-on-one -on -one with patient A, 30 minutes with patient B. But I'm only going to bill two, you know, two units to each patient, whether it be one unit, most likely one unit of manual therapy and one unit of exercise to patient A, one unit of manual therapy, one unit of exercise to patient B. When that patient is by themselves and I'm not with them, that would be considered you know, independent exercise of doing it by themselves is not billable time. Okay. And Medicare would be perfectly fine with that. And that same logic would be true if I had two Blue Cross patients, if I had one Blue Cross, one Aetna, one Medicare, one Cigna. Okay. So there's that misunderstanding there. There's also that misunderstanding of students can't treat Medicare patients mm -hmm. in the outpatient therapy arena. Mm -hmm. Students can treat a Medicare patient the key is that their supervisor, their instructor, whether it's a therapist or a therapist assistant, has to be with the student physically with treating them. the Medicare patient. Yes, so physically not, with them. So if they can't be doing something else. Exactly. So they can't be across the room treating someone else and then look across and be like, oh yeah, I'm with them, I'm with them. Correct. No. They have to be focused with that patient and with that student at the same time. Correct. So if the student's treating a Medicare outpatient part uh -huh. B, I as the instructor need to be with them doing nothing else, directing and participating in the treatment. I can't be in my office doing notes. Like you said, I can't be treating another patient. I can't but be on the phone But they're in the same room. Nope, I gotta be Come there. Come on. I know. I'm joking, I joke. I know you're joking. Um, okay, I think that's important, you know, cause, and, and I wonder if that is happening and you're billing Medicare for that, is that considered a fraudulent bill? Like, what happens? What, what are the consequences of that? Yeah, and there's the, the two words I like to, two words that I use are abuse and fraud. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of what we do mistakenly is what we call abuse, mm -hmm. meaning we don't know we're doing it wrong. So you don't know what you don't know. You don't, right, you don't know yeah. where fraud is, it's intentional. You know it's wrong, mm -hmm. you're intentionally doing it, you're intentionally trying to defraud the government or another insurance mm -hmm. company. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you read those OIG, the Office of the Inspector General reports, you get those emails about these people going to jail, yeah. having to pay back $29 million or $8 million. Can you imagine? Usually that's playing out. Fraud. <laughs> you know, they're not even seeing the people that make right. up the records and <clears throat> right. doing kickbacks and all of that. Yikes. And okay. then I think the third myth, yeah, I was gonna say, what's three, the third we'll do one? one more, is that myth that you can't charge more than four timed units in an hour. Actually, that's a good one because I often hear like, oh, I was at this outpatient place, like students will say, I was at an outpatient place and I saw the patient for 30 minutes, but they were charging six codes. Well, that would be tough. Yeah, that's 30 a tough minute. one. I'm going to show you legally yes, yeah, and show, ethically and not yes. fraudulently let's, how let's to keep do it, this. Let's keep it all on the up and up here. <laughs> that's right. So and I'll give you two examples. And one, I'll use Medicare because people think, well, Medicare, there's no way you can build more than four time units in an hour. Correct, yeah. Now, all you got to do is you got to give this to me. You got to say, you gotta say <laughs> this could happen. Could I, as a therapist, see a Medicare patient from 8 to 8.25 while I did 25 minutes of exercise? And you'd have to say, yes, you could, Rick. Sure. But 25 minutes would be two units. Mm-hmm. Well, then I could I see a patient from 820, a Medicare patient from 826 to 850 doing 25 minutes of exercise. 
Well, you got to give that to me. I could do that. Sure. That's two units. Could I see then another Medicare patient from 8.51 to 9 o'clock doing 10 minutes of manual therapy? Oh, eight minutes. The eight-minute rule. Yeah. Yeah. And right there, I just built five time uh-huh. units in an hour uh-huh. on three different Medicare patients. So that myth that you can't build more than four time units is a myth. Uh-huh. Now, if you go non-Medicare and say Blue Cross, Aetna, Cigna, and we're going to say they don't follow the eight-minute rule, what if they follow the American Medical Association definition of substantial of a time-based code? What does that mean? Definition of substantial is past midpoint, more than half the code. Okay. So could you say on a Blue Cross patient from 8 to 8.30, do 10 minutes of exercise, 10 minutes of neuro-re-ed, Sure. And 10 minutes of manual therapy. Sure. Three codes. That's three units. Uh-huh. Now I'm being a, a Cigna patient, and we're going to say they don't follow the eight-minute rule. We're going to say they follow definition of substantial. Well, from 8.30 to 9, 8.31 to 9, could you do 10 minutes of exercise, 10 minutes of neuro, 10 minutes of manual? You could. Mm-hmm. You just charge six time units in an hour. Uh, with two different patients. Two different patients. Got it. Now, could that be one patient yeah, I was gonna say, six what different if you, things? What if you have one patient that you see for one full hour? Well, I mean, technically, could you do eight minutes of exercise, eight minutes of That's neuro, kind of crazy. eight minutes of aquatic, eight minutes of gait? My God, it's giving me a headache. I mean, could yeah. you technically do that? Of course. You could, but I think as a therapist and really realistically would not happen. Yeah, yeah, because I see patients for an hour, I bill four codes. Right, and I think the biggest codes, of course, for PT, in my opinion, are the thorax, thorax manual neuro, therapy, manual neuro. therapy, yeah. and therapeutic activities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, if you do neuro, you might do gait training. If you have a pool, you do a quad. Sure, but I don't sure. think we're typically billing six, six or seven codes. different right. That's a codes lot in a session. Of... But theoretically, could you do seven different 15-minute codes for eight minutes each in an hour mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and build seven times seven times units. eight is 56, yeah. You could. It's a little, it's a but, little much. But it, it's does just that, a, it's just does that throw up a red flag? I think that would throw up a red flag. That's the I think question. That, I think yeah. if you did that consistently, I think if you build six, seven different CPT mm-hmm, codes for mm-hmm. one in each, multiple mm-hmm. visits, I think that could... You could get on the insurance company's radar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and nobody wants that. Nobody wants to be on the radar of nobody insurance Nobody wants company. that kind of nonsense. It's no. too much, you know? Yep. It's too much. Okay, well, that's great. So we've got, I feel like we've really covered eval codes, surprisingly. For PT. For PT. Um, and now I have to reevaluate everything I'm doing. Um, I love those dispelling three of those myths. I think that's great. Yep. And I think that's pertinent for PTs and OTs. And, yeah, the mess you know, this yeah. stuff is important because this is for people who are billing insurance companies that are not cash pay patient, that are not cash based PT. This is your bread and butter. This is the backbone. This is how you get paid. I agree. But even for yourself and others that do what you do cash based, if you want your patients to be paid yeah. back by an insurance you company. You have to be right. And, and you're nice enough to give an invoice mm-hmm. or fraud a 1500 claim form. I think it's also important for you to, to Im- get the right invoice to the patient yeah. so they get money back from the insurance exactly, company. Because if, if you're cash based, so I'm cash based and I tell patients you have, you may be reimbursed depending on how much. And I've had patients, I swear, listen to this, reimbursed 100%. Which... What kind of insurance? That's like the unicorn of insurance. And the funny thing is, if you were 
uh, enrolled in that insurance company. You'd never get 100%. Oh, you'd probably get 70 bucks yeah. a visit, or in New York, $55 a visit. from Blue Cross <laughs> yeah. Blue Shield, I know, it's the right. worst. But like, I had a patient who got reimbursed 100% because I saw the EOB. But that's because you were nice enough to do the invoice, and plus you had the codes on. I had the right codes, the right diagnosis codes. diagnosis codes. And from our last chat, we had a chat about diagnosis codes. We did, a while and ago. A while yeah. ago. And I always remember that. Part of my promise, which I take very seriously with my patients, is that if necessary, I'll provide you with the with the paperwork to turn into your insurance company to get reimbursed. Right. So I don't want to make that promise and not deliver. So for yep. those cash-based patients or PTs, this is still really important because if you're promising that to your patient, you need to deliver. Reputation is everything. Reputation I mean, it takes, a, it takes a long, long time to develop a positive reputation in what in what you yeah. do, what I do, and it can be gone in a second, in a heartbeat, in a bad Google review, a, yep, or, or Yelp, or, or, or whatever, whatever, or just a bad tweet that a bad we, uh, that well, who people knows? do, absolutely, or whatever. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. So, listen, before we wrap up here. Um, I ask everyone this at the end of each podcast. Uh-oh. I feel like I already asked you this. I probably Uh-oh. asked you this before. Maybe right. I started it after. I'm not sure. Uh-oh. But given what you know now in your life, in your career, what advice would you give to yourself as a new grad out of PT school? Boy, you know, I, I guess the advice I would give to a new grad is, is to you. Ne- Oh, to myself. To yourself. If, if I was looking back at myself, yes. it's kind of funny because I'm a big country fan and Brad Paisley has that great country song where he writes a letter to himself, you know, going back. And I guess, you know, the advice I would give to myself is never say never. The reason I say that, I went to PT school because I wanted to work with athletes. I wanted to do sports teams. I was a huge sports fan. Mm-hmm. And I always said, and I never got to, I actually never, as a physical therapist, never worked with sports teams, never worked with athletes. I never did why I went to PT school. And I said I would never go into management. I said I would never do consulting. I would never write books. And I've been blessed to go into hospital administration. I've been blessed to ask to write books and, and do consulting. So I think it's the looking, the advice I give myself is never say never and you know just follow what god's telling you to do where he's leading you and and you know we don't may not know the answer why we're going down where we're going uh, because we've got the you know the the front row seats but i would say god has those nosebleed seats and he's got a direction for us and follow that i think that's beautiful advice and thank you so much for taking time out during ascend and during the happy hour of all times well well, thanks for having Um, me i mean obviously there's a lot of people here that are way more intelligent or whatever oh, than what I do and all that. No, this is important so stuff. Thanks. This thanks is important me. stuff and people need to know it. So thanks so much. Thanks, appreciate it. And Great. everyone else, um, thanks for tuning in. And I'm sure WebPT will have a lot of recaps of this mm-hmm. event. So be sure to head over to WebPT.com. And also head over to WebPT.com slash donate. Mm-hmm. And if you're a rehab professional, donate because we're trying to raise a million dollars to send to um, victims of the latest natural disasters. And that includes the wildfires in the Pacific Northwest. It's Hurricane Irma, it's Hurricane Harvey, and it's Hurricane Maria. So as a rehab, as rehab professionals and as a community, this is the time for us to come together and let's raise a million dollars as quickly as we can. And also APTA is going to match dollar for dollar up to the first $10,000 yes. because there are a lot of physical therapists that 
lost not only lost their practices, they've lost their homes. Their lives. And, and they need to rebuild. And yes. some people don't have flood insurance or the flood insurance is limited in what they'll pay. So uh, we're all very blessed to do what we do. And, yes. and it, so will, it's, it will be a good resource and money well spent. Absolutely. And it's all tax deductible. And there's 100,000 APTA members. You only have to give 10 bucks. There you and go. And we got a million dollars. There so you go. It's go, that easy. Yes, it's that easy. So head over to webpt.com slash donate and make your donation today. And on that, thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.